welcome to Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping all businesses with their people-related decisions. They do that by giving clients access to the best human capital, due diligence and background checks available on prospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. To learn more, simply visit www.peopleg2. Today, we're privileged to have with us the founder and president of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris. Good afternoon. My name is Chris Dyer, and I'll be your host for the next hour. In case you're tuning in for the first time, the Talent Talk radio show features a wide range of guests who care about talent and are uniquely talented themselves. On this show, we talk about talent in those two ways. First, as it relates to success and uncovering the secrets of really talented people, like my guests today. And second, we talk about talent in relation to human resources and how HR leaders find the best candidates today. My uh, first guest will be uh, specifically really tackling that topic. Hopefully you see how that works, where talent has a couple different meanings in the business world, and this show really looks to explore those two areas. My guests include CEOs, entrepreneurs, and HR executives from all types of industries. When I'm out at these different networking events, CEO roundtables, industry conferences, and such, I, I have the privilege of meeting such inspiring leaders all the time. So I created this forum to allow you to listen in on our dialogue and learn something practical that will hopefully impact your own career in a positive way. Before I get to my guest today, I want to thank those of you tuning in live. Don't forget you can submit your questions via Twitter. Just tweet your question to at people G2. Use the hashtag talent talk. And my producer, Mike, will feed you the, uh, feed me the best questions that we have, and we'll try to work them into the show. From time to time, we do uh, throw one in there, so feel free to, to send us one over. Don't forget, you can also listen to the show via our podcast on iTunes, Android, all different mediums, as well as subscribe to have that weekly show sent to you. We have just over 7,200 people subscribed to the show listening each week via podcast, so if you're on your treadmill, you're in the car right now, thank you for, for tuning in. With that said, let's uh, get today's show started. Uh, my guests today are William Tincup, CEO of Tincup and & Company, and uh, one of the uh, top HR influencers on Twitter, and Kevin Howard, CEO of ICG, Inc. Kevin will be joining me in the second half of our show, but let's get to our first guest. William, thank you for being on the show. Glad to be on the show. Thank you. So tell us about yourself and uh, what you're currently doing in the world of HR. Sure. I, uh, I work as a consultant to the vendor community, the service layer, either software firms or services firms that serve HR, I work as a consultant to them. Uh, in the last couple of years, I've, I've, uh, I've got my SPHR, which is fantastic, um, and uh, I speak at a lot of HR conferences, a lot of SHRM conferences, a lot of HR conferences, uh, and I also write a lot. So I've been an HR practitioner, I've worked the desk, I've done all the bid, and now I, I in my consulting business, it serves the layer that actually uh, markets to, sells to, and serves HR. So I'm kind of in the ecosystem of HR, if you would. Well, that's a really different perspective than, than what we've had so far on the show, that you're really coming from that vendor side of it and looking at how to help people maybe service HR better, but you yourself have been a practitioner as well. Yeah, you know, I've seen it. I mean, I've been sold to. I've been marketed to, sold to, and supported. I mean, I still remember our our first payroll service uh, that we that we've used. So, I mean, you know, I've been on the other side of it, 
and I can see where people make uh, kind of glaring mistakes in, in interacting with, with HR and maybe even some of the assumptions. And it's like this in, in every industry, right? You know, you make a series of assumptions about people until you start to kind of meet them and really get to know the, the stereotypes uh, while they might proliferate the, the space, they're not really all that true. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and HR definitely suffers from a stigma of having a lot of those stereotypes placed on, you know, human resources professionals. So you started your company, uh, Tin Company and Company, uh, in July, I think, of 2010. What was your drive behind starting this company? Sure. And, and has your vision for that company been, you know, fully realized yet? Yeah, actually, you know, I sold, I had a marketing agency that I had 50% ownership in, and uh, I've been, I had done that game, the marketing agency game, for about a decade, and my business partner, uh, a wonderful guy at the time, he wanted to kind of take it and really do something different with it. So it was a a wonderful parting, I would tell you, which most buyouts are not wonderful. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're, they're usually kind of forced. Um, And, and, and my partner and I, we came to a really great, kind of an economic model that made sense for him and made sense for me. And so what I wanted to focus on and what I had really kind of fallen in love with was user adoption, how to get people to use software, specifically HR software. And so you, if you, you know, you can kind of talk about like the consumer market and see how people have kind of fallen in love with LinkedIn or Twitter or Facebook or, or any of the consumer technologies, if you will. But rarely do you kind of see that happening in the business-to-business world, and specifically with HR software like your performance management application or your payroll application, et cetera. So I really wanted to kind of focus on how do we do that? How do we get people to want to use software? And so I'd say probably for the first year, I really focused on consulting uh, vendors around how do you get people to use their software. So if you're a software player, you know, you sell the software, you're really good at marketing, you're really good at selling it, but how do you get people to want to use the software? So I did that for about a year to find out that really vendors, vendors care about the usage of their software, but, but practitioners uh, should care about it, and but it's a little bit late in the game. So what I what I mean, what I learned in that process is that if you're talking about user adoption two years into an install, so take this into anybody's you know own kind of current situation, whether or not it's Salesforce, you know, software or financial software, it doesn't matter. But if you've if you've had the software for two years or so and people aren't using it, it's too late. I mean, it really is too late in the game. It's very hard to resurrect and get adoption when when it's already been installed. So I started working on, you know, at the time to talk about user adoption is in the contract layer. When you first meet with somebody and they say, hey, we really want you to look at this software, that's when you should be talking about user adoption. It's like, okay, all this sounds great. Financially, it sounds great. All that stuff's a lock in. How are we going to get people to use the software? So after implementation, after we do this bit, you know, we've got 100,000 employees. How are we going to get people to actually use the software? And the conversation should be before you sign the contract. And so probably the second year of the business, I really started focusing more and more around that. And lately, what I've been focusing on is, you know, you can have a great contract. You can pick the right vendor. It can have a great UI. Like all these things are all lining up. But getting to satisfaction like are the are the vendors really beloved or loved by their clients so what does satisfaction look like 
for software firms. So if you have five different payroll vendors, let's say, in front of you, how do you pick the one that has the best satisfaction rating? How do you find the one that is truly loved by the people that buy it and use the software? And again, the more you know about that stuff, it can it can get you out of a lot of sticky situations down the road. So a lot of my business, you know, still I consult with a vendor community that serves HR. So the, it's a niche within a niche. HR, there's about 4 million people that work in HR in the United States, um, and that's everyone from training to recruiters to, you know, all the different kind of titles and, and things mm-hmm. like that. And the vendor community that serves them is even bigger than that. So there's 22,000 different software applications that serve HR and recruiting. So there's a it's, uh, even though I say it's a niche within a niche within a niche, it's, it's still a pretty big market. So. Yeah, and I mean, we definitely we, we sit on that side of it, the vendor uh, side of it. So we, we see there's a uh, quite a bit out there, and uh, I, I mean, I really liked your comment. I mean, two years into an implementation, if, if if people haven't started using your software yet, there's probably a problem, you know. And <laughs> and we, we usually look at that too. I mean, we'll, we'll bring on a, a large client and maybe a particular division or a branch or something, and if they haven't started to go within so many months, we really look at that. Like, what's the real problem there? You know, we start looking at that very aggressively early on. You know, if everyone else is adopting and going in, you know, where's the problem? Is it haven't been communicated with? They haven't been trained. They haven't been. Uh, they're still holding on to something else. Uh, you know, whatever. So it's it is amazing. That sometimes software companies or vendors in general, we shouldn't necessarily pick on just the software people, but vendors in general can uh, not really tackle that idea of that uh, user adoption, which is probably one of your most important uh, metrics for being a success within a company. What's, it's funny that you mentioned that Wall Street and Silicon Valley are starting to pay attention to it. You know, it's starting to, you know, the people that you see get a lot of money. You're starting to see those conversations around renewals and, and what is, what is, what's the churn rate. So anything below kind of your 96%, there's, it's an indicator that there's something wrong. Mm-hmm. So like, well, you know, if you say, Hey, you know, 80% of the customers, you know, they renew with us. That's actually highlighting you have a, you have a churn problem. There's something, and you're right, it can be many fold. It can be, it's a communication strategy. Maybe it's a change management strategy. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's the UI or, or things in the UX or UI need to be changed and made more simple or could be just simple training. You know, hey, right. if we just do more webinars and, or maybe some, some, some uh, client side work and we get people really trained or, you know, how do we get them to use the software? So it can be a lot lot of things that get to churn, but I, I know because I've done a lot of these investor calls that Silicon Valley is paying attention to churn and Wall Street's paying attention to churn. We probably would be smart if we paid attention. Yeah. <laughs> so, hey, talk a little bit about uh, Fistful of Talent. You know, it definitely presents some cutting edge thoughts on recruitment and talent development. So I'm sure you maybe have some specific audience that responds to the insights that you share, but how has that group made an impact in the world of HR and recruiting and talent development? Chris Dunn, who had his own personal blog, the HR Capitalist, fantastic HR blog. The guy's been an HR leader for a long time. He's kind of buck the trend, you know, buck the status quo type of guy. And he, he wanted to get more voices together. And so a number of years ago, he, he rallied about, you know, 15 people together and said, listen, we're going to do Fistful of Talent. And the thing is, is this is content. It's got to be, I think the way I think of it is irrever- irre- irreverent and relevant. So kind of make your point. You can use wacky language. You can use, you know, pop culture references, et cetera, because that's just to get people in. 
You know, if it's the same old kind of a, what I call the LinkedIn content of, you mm-hmm. know, where there's the three things and the five things and the seven things. I mean, at one point. The top three all things all HR leaders need to do. Yeah, okay. yeah, 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 right. So, <laughs> so the thing, the problem with that content strategy is that everyone's got those three things. No one's really paying attention to that stuff. So Fistful tried, tries to really break out of that and say, you know what? All of these folks, like when you look at the contributors, they all come from different places. There are some of them were client side as practitioners and recruiting, corporate recruiting or corporate HR. Some of them are consultants. Some of them work in the vendor community. They all kind of work all over the ecosystem. You know, it's like the Jim Rome show. I don't know if you're a sports guy, but Jim Rome years ago mm-hmm. used to have this bit, and I think he still does. That basically, when you come into the show, the jungle, when you come in, you got to have a take. And, and that's kind of like Fistful of Talent. It's like your take might be wrong. Right. But you've got to have a take. Right. Like, don't just come in and go, well, I think it could be all things or, you know, kind of a vanilla response. Like, the world already has enough of that content. Mm-hmm. So come in, come in hard, have a take, and it's okay to be wrong, but have a take. And so Fistful, my voice in Fistful, I'm just one of, you know, 20 contributors, lots of wonderful voices there. But I, what I try to write, when I write for there, I try to write and I say to myself, I am the status quo buster. Like, all I got to do is, like, take something that really we need to stop doing and let's bust it up and then let me get – because I want people to think. Like, I'm not really there. I don't write there to then solve people's problems. And that's probably a pretty unique challenge because in some ways HR really is, in my mind, too much about the status quo. And maybe that's not necessarily their fault. It comes from other, from other parts of the organization, but they're kind of in charge of keeping things centralized, keeping things standard, keeping things, you know, keeping everyone out of trouble and, you know, all the, everything proper and in the right order. So you get people that maybe can be pretty reliant on the status quo and on maybe group thinking and things like that. So have you seen people react well to this? Uh, you know, I think that, uh, and I use a lot of adult language and references too. So there's, there's, uh, you know, I, I basically say if you can fight through a post, you're gonna, your head's, the intended consequence of your head is gonna hurt and it's gonna make you think works. Now I filter out the people that can't handle that. So mm-hmm. let's just kind of talk, you know, big boy pants stuff here. There's a bunch of people that don't want that. They, they avoid that in their personal lives. They avoid that in the, in the media that they consume. Right. They avoid that in every, every facet of the life. And so it's, it's not a mass market play. It's, it really is uh, an approach that says, listen, if you can fight through that and you can get through the adult humor and some of the adult references, et cetera, then you're going to get to good stuff, but you've got work to do. You've got to actually think. And if you don't want to think, don't be on this blog. Right. <laughs> <laughs> there are plenty of other places on the internet, you know, you don't have to think at. Right. Well, it's your niche within your niche, I guess. And, yeah. and then for those people that can't handle, they can sit on LinkedIn and read their top three things. It, uh, it's a great better. filter. And I, and I do love LinkedIn. I actually blog at the uh, talent blog for LinkedIn, but it's, it's, and I, and I make fun of that type of content, but really Forbes does all of that stuff. The Huffington Post does all that stuff. It's, we should stop looking for the three things that solve anything. That's, mm-hmm. We're the problem. It's a, it's like the same reason that the you know, National Enquirer and the you know, Sun and all of those magazines still exist. If we stop buying them, they go away. Right. Well, that's good for headlines, is what people grabs okay. their attention in email and, and different things. But you know, I, I read a I read a post a, 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 I don't know a couple of weeks back about the USA Today is written at the eighth grade level. Now, first of all, this is going to really kind of hit you in the shorts, but it's written at the eighth grade level. So take any eighth grader. 
and they can consume any article in any section of the USA Today and actually fully comprehend it. And the debate is at USA at Gannett is uh, should they be writing it at the seventh grade level? Right. <laughs> well, to their defense, I guess that's somewhat of a take on our education system. And people are <laughs> are ready to consume at eighth grade level and not at so. <laughs> yeah, again, that's about us, right? right? That's right. Yeah, it's because we don't fund education. You're you're absolutely right. Yeah, we're the problem. Turns out, but Fistful has been a. Uh, I'll, I'll blog there as long as they'll have me because I, I use a different voice. I try to put on a different you know a different gear when I write for them. I try to think about the audience in a way that says I'm not solving the world's problems. I'm actually just trying to get them to think about one little tiny thing, and can I write that way? Mm-hmm. And so it's as a writer, it's uh, that's a challenge i would tell you yeah i can imagine i mean if you're it's easy to be safe and it's hard to put on that uh, hat and to be controversial and but on top of being controversial it's actually not that hard to be controversial but it's hard to be controversial in a way that's actually helpful as well like you're saying to get people to think and get them to challenge their perceptions and maybe end up in a better place by the time they're done and they you know they're they're reading the, the bottom of the article well, t- take a look at it like this. Take, uh, the e- e- ecosystem of HR, there's about 400 HR and recruiting bloggers in the world. And if you take all that content, you line it up side by side, most of that content, probably 90% of that content is talking about the failure of HR, where HR gets it wrong and how HR needs to change. And, you know, it's basically, you're dumb, you're stupid, you should probably stop doing this, it's a failure, etc. It's a lot of negative sentiment. Even when people are trying to be positive, it's usually backhanded. What HR doesn't need is more content like that. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want to contribute to that nonsense. I want to actually say, you know what? I'm not going to weigh in on whether or not you're smart enough or competent enough or whether you have the skills and all that other nonsense. Here's what I want you to do. When you read the 700 words contained in this post, think. And then do whatever the hell you want to do. But just think. Right. And if and if I can do that, I've done my job. You've done a lot with this social media and, and technology and certainly with the blogs and everything. But... You know, how have these mediums maybe really been used to kind of, I guess, enhance HR executives and how they conduct their business? So I guess maybe the better question would be, you know, what do you see as the biggest challenge facing HR professionals today that maybe you're talking about in, in these different areas? Sure. Well, you know, here's the thing. I learn every single day. And that's you open yourself up to learning at every interaction and every moment. You you know if you're if you're open to it, you can learn everywhere and from everyone. And so these are just new places to learn. And so like every day on Twitter, a new software vendor follows me that I would have never known about. A Spanish town acquisition play, uh, a Dutch employee engagement tool. I would have never known these people would existed. But the cool thing is, is they follow me on Twitter. I look them up, and then I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. That's compelling. Mm-hmm. I could see where that would work here, there, or the other way. With the podcast, that you know I, you know that I have a, a daily podcast called Drive Through HR. We've got about 35,000 people that listen to the show on a weekly basis. And what's great about it is, like, I had a guest on today that I've, I've interacted with over th- – over Twitter, he's an HR practitioner, and we get on the show. It's a thirty-minute bit. We get on the show, and I did not know that he he had worked all over the world in every size firm. So he could talk about, you know, working in Japan, working in Helsinki, working in New York, like working at different types of firms in different industries. It opened myself up. Now, first of all, if I wasn't known on Twitter. And I didn't have a podcast or I didn't have a vehicle. I could never learn that story or I wouldn't learn that story. 
and he, you know, he he had uh, his opening salvo was was this bit about engagement. And he said, it's not engagement; it's engagements. It's plural. The the fail that we have in HR is that we don't think about the plurality that different people need different things. That you know, you and I, if we were working in the same company together, we could be sitting side by side, and I need something different from the company than you do. That's not engagement. That's engagements. And so, like, I would have never learned that. I would never thought yeah. that thought. So, why should HR people, you know, pay attention to social? I think there's a couple things. A, they should stop fearing it. And I think you see less and less of that now. I mean, at the HR conferences that I go to, we, they've been, you know, talking about HR for almost a decade now. Uh, talk about social for almost a decade now. So you're starting to kind of see people that when you ask a question of, hey, who has a LinkedIn account? Who has a Facebook account? Who has a Twitter account? Majority of hands are going up. So they're fearing it less. But I think, you know, simple, simple answer to, you know, to, to the question is you can learn almost at every exchange something new, something that's you can use back inside your firm. And I think that's an important thing. I mean, that's really kind of the premise of our show is trying to get Give people an opportunity to see, because I feel like I'm in the same position. I'm learning every day, and when I'm going to these different events or meeting these different people, I'm kind of picking up an interesting book, or I'm picking up an interesting tidbit, or or something that I didn't know before. And we kind of want to give everyone else the opportunity who maybe isn't on these different things that I'm going to, to be able to kind of learn as well as as I'm learning and going along. But it's interesting you mentioned before about the, that plurality or that having that engagement being, uh, you know, a plural type of a thing. You know, it's something we I learned a few years ago that, and it drives me crazy, but I have to do it if I want to be effective. And that is there are some people I have to sit down and over a lunch or at a table with to get them to really understand and to buy in on what I'm, you know, if I'm going to make a pretty big change. And then there's those people I can just send an email to. And then there's the people I can just send a text to. And once I started segmenting those people, and it isn't completely by age, although it's pretty close by age. You know, my, my, my oldest employees generally are the ones that I have to be face-to-face with. And, and in the middle, it generally is the email. And then my youngest ones are generally the text. So that's not, there are a few exceptions. It amazes me how different they all communicate. You know, to send a text, hey, this is what we're going to do. They write back, great, can't wait to start. <laughs> <laughs> and somebody else I have to have an hour long lunch with, right? Well, and it's it's what's cool about that is, you know, you're you're being adaptive. You're mm-hmm. basically saying, "Hey, I'll meet you where you are. You want to do Skype chat? Fantastic. You want you want to do Twitter DMs? Great. You know, I don't care. Right. What I do care about is that we communicate, we touch base, and I think that HR. Getting back to you, you know, the question was, you know, we can respond better. If we open ourselves up to these multiple mediums and meet our audience. So HR has many audience. We have our, you know, our internal group. We have our employees. We have an externally facing audience, which is pro, uh, candidates to jobs. So we have an external audience that we need to make sure that we uh, understand and respond to. We have an internal audience and we have a kind of a subgroup within that is our own HR peers and, and, uh, and folks like that. And if you want to kind of stratify that even more, you can say the executives are another group that we need to interact with. Mm-hmm. All those people might have different needs from us. And instead of saying, no, this is the only way, which is very rigid and very flawed, uh, we, we should be able to say, no, you know, seriously, how do you want to interact? Oh, you just want to put things on, you know, a, a, you know, and send us an email. Fantastic, great. Yeah. We'll respond. We'll take care of that. How do yeah. you want us to respond? And so I think, again, I think it's another way 
great HR people are already doing this. Well, we're almost out of time here, but I want to make sure we ask you our favorite question to ask our guest, and that is, uh, what are you reading right now? And tell us about that book. Prior to 97, I had read every book on branding published. So I, I'm that guy. I have a type A personality, right? So every book that had ever been written about marketing, communications, and branding, I'd read everything. And I'd also read every Harvard Business Review case study uh, ever published prior to 97. So what happened in 97? I went to business school. Now, after 99, when I got out, I promised myself I would never read another business book ever. And the, and the, and the promise there is... I wanted to go and read the classics. I have two arch degrees, uh, one in art history and one in American Indian Studies and an MBA on top of all that madness. And so I, I wanted to actually re-dip myself in the classics. So I mm-hmm. built a, a collection of all of his short stories, mm-hmm. and it's perfect for being on a plane. So oh, I sure. pop on, read five short stories, and you know I'm done. So after I get done with that, I'll probably move on to Oscar Wilde. And the stuff with business books and, and all of that great content, there's a lot of great stuff. I see a lot of these guys. Uh, I've seen Gladwell, you know, probably 12 times. I've seen Dan Pink more than that. Right. So a lot of these folks I get to see. So when I need visual content, I go to Ted. And then I'll, mm-hmm. I'll look at the, you know, I'll look at Ted's because you've got a way that you can search for the most popular. And if you do that in Ted... And you look at the most popular, usually those are the best ones. Yeah. So I'll, if I need visual and audio content, I'll go there. And if somebody turns me on to something, I'll go to like summaries.com or, or another way to kind of get the gist of a book. So, you know, really, me spending a week of my life reading a book. <laughs> uh, a I'm with you. Book. I prefer the gist. I definitely yeah. prefer the gist. Bubble, bubble that up. Give me the executive yeah. summary. Okay, yeah. yeah. We should be better. We should be. Uh, we should be better with customers. <laughs> Got it. All Got right. it. Yes. Yeah. And we can do it by these top three things. No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Well, hey, I really enjoyed having you on the show today. We we did not even get to half the questions we had for you, so maybe we'll we can get you to come back on the show again sometime. And vice versa, I'd love to have you on drive through. Yeah, yeah, please let me know. I'd love to to be your guest and uh, have to answer the questions uh, for once. That'd be fun. <laughs> People can definitely uh, find you by on, on Twitter. That's the easiest way. Look up William Tincup. He's he's there. Thank you so much again for being on the show, and we'll be right back after this quick commercial break. Can we talk about your family business? You know, that thing you put your whole life's blood, sweat, and tears into? Well, what happens when you retire or try and pass that business on to your children? At Succession Strategies, we can help you find the answers. We'll guide you through the unsettling process of protecting your family legacy and successfully passing your business on to the next generation, safely and securely ensuring that it'll both survive and thrive for generations to come. So ask yourself just one question. Can I really afford to wait? Take the first step. Take our complimentary self-assessment at SuccessionStrategies.com or call us at 714-560-9022 to set up a free consultation at your convenience. That's Succession-Strategies.com. 
When you use the Premier Rewards Gold Card from American Express, the rewards points can keep on multiplying. Buy three with triple points on airfare. Buy two with double points on gas and groceries. And a single point for pretty much every other dollar you spend on the card. Then, start choosing from over a million rewards to redeem all those points. Apply today and the annual fee for the first year is on us. Call 1-800-AXP-GOLD or visit AXPGOLD.com. The annual fee for the card is $175. See terms, conditions, and restrictions at AXPGOLD.com. And now back to our next guest. My next guest is Kevin Howard, CEO of ICG, Inc., a company recognized this year as one of the fastest-growing private companies in Orange County. Don't forget to tweet your questions live right now for Kevin by sending them to at PeopleG2, hashtag Talent Talk. Kevin, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Tell us about yourself and your company, ICG, Inc. Sure. A little bit about myself. Uh, I do come from very humble beginnings. Uh, I grew up in Long Beach, Spent some time uh, in Southern California, as you can imagine, uh, before getting into ICG. And I say getting into ICG, I have a finance background and uh, decided to start ICG as initially a a consulting firm that uh, has morphed into what is today a full-service digital media firm. And full-service digital media firm, uh, to us, is slightly different. Uh, We build campaigns for brands uh, that cross uh, all the digital platforms that uh, we would utilize today. Uh, and the the main focus for us is uh, utilizing what is called large format digital, and that would be something similar to, as an example, a menu board at a McDonald's. And so we work with several brands uh, that are predominantly enterprise uh, class uh, clients like, like a McDonald's. Mm-hmm. Uh, we work with Macy's and uh, SeaWorld and several other brands, but uh, we're a one-stop shop, a true one-stop shop, so... Uh, when we take on a project, we complete it from start to finish uh, without fail. As I mentioned at the top here, uh, your company has been recognized as one of the fastest growing companies, and we that's kind of how we got introduced to you because we were on that list as well. We were proud to have been included on there. You know, as I look at my own company, I definitely believe we see areas that have allowed us to kind of experience some positive growth. But, you know, what in your opinion is it that kind of gave your company the opportunity to be recognized? What was it really allowed you to have that substantial growth in a short period of time? We, we've been very fortunate in that uh, over the last three years, we've grown in excess of 300% per year. Uh, so it's, it's certainly been uh, uh, quite a run for us. But really the key to our success, we think, comes from uh, our internal communication uh, like any relationship, business is similar in that uh, you have relationships internally, and oftentimes those can be tumultuous, uh, as we all know. But uh, what we're able to do internally is communicate and, and really over-communicate, and, and that allows us to be uber-efficient uh, across all fronts. And looking at our company, we operate effectively as, as five departments or divisions internally, and all of those individuals from the engineering to uh, development or, or design uh, departments themselves uh, all have to communicate, and, and that communication really is what we believe uh, sets us apart. Well, what would be an example of maybe one of those types of communications that maybe are a little different than what everybody else is doing? As an example, in our office, it's a very open platform. There are folks that, that say they have an open platform, but it's very open, meaning that all of the staff members have wheels on their chairs so they can roll around and communicate. We do things that are certainly different uh, internally in, in, in terms of, you know, actually our communication. But um, so, some some examples of, of doing things that others can't get done, and I say this just because simply the communication allows us to do things that are that are very uh, we get it done quickly mm-hmm. uh, and one one sample of that is Macy's is a client of ours and a couple of years ago uh, they came to us and i believe 
We had four days to complete an augmented reality campaign uh, that is a very complex, creative build that we had to put together, and we were able to do it in four days, and, and we pushed it out to multiple locations across the country to, to, to communicate in a way where you have logistics, physical engineers, as well as designers and developers all working in tandem to get something out in the field within four days when you're talking literally tons of hardware. It's pretty impressive to do, and, and those are some of the things that we're able to accomplish. That's great. Well, you know, in the field of, of digital media where, where you guys are really playing, it certainly has been quite a bit of change, even since just the inception of your company. So how has your company worked to stay up with those challenges and or changes and uh, advancements within your field? One of the things that's very, very important for us is to make sure that all of our staff members are, are constantly self-educating. Uh, and self-educating. If I have a, a you know an engineer that that has graduated with a master's degree, he he learned a lot of you know his skill set is is from books. But they also have to make sure that they're out and understanding as they go forward. You know, in the world, as you can imagine, our staff is is very young. I believe our our average age is slightly over 26. So as a whole, it's a very young staff. But the goal for each of these folks is when they get out of school and they they come on board, uh, they they have the ability to make sure that they're always staying on top of any Thing that's out there, so that whether that's a, a, a new form of HTML or or it is a, an engineering protocol that uh, is uh, you know RF signals or what have you that that our staff needs to stay on top of, they're expected to, to be on top of it at all times, and and that's what we encourage regularly. Part of that is while they're on staff at at the office, taking time to make sure that they're on top of their game and and out in front of where the world is. And that constant education process is something that has come from other uh, other fields. I mean, you, you certainly say t- teaching is one of those fields where people were used to, and that's a part of their process. But it's interesting how, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, we would have explicitly said in a job uh, posting that someone needed to be well-versed in Microsoft Office or yeah. something, right? And now it's just expected. You're Correct. expected to have self-learned and already know how to use that system to be able to function in almost any business environment. Yeah, I think, you know, we work with the NFL, and, and I'll use them as a, as a basis. We work with several of the teams. And when a player comes to training camp, it isn't as it was 20 years ago or 30 years ago where they would show up and get in shape. When a player shows up, he's expected to be ready to go, mm-hmm. and he's ready to play that day. Day one. And so they've spent their time in the off-season conditioning and what have you. And it's akin to this, you know, it's tantamount to what we do in the office in that we're expecting our guys to show up and be ready to go. And and the things that we would learn are higher level education, uh, you know, if you will, within each each one of the platforms uh, at the office. Yeah. You mentioned earlier the kind of a background in finance. And I think you've had positions with Wells Fargo and UBS, Smith Barney. People might have heard of a few of those, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you founded a company you know, that does hit that full-service digital media. So talk a little bit about what led you to this venture back in 2004 to kind of give up finance and, and to really go into this, because they really are kind of different. Uh, there's not really a direct you know, bridge <laughs> from finance yeah, to, to digital media. Yeah. Uh, so it, it certainly is a, is a very long story. Shorten it quite a bit. Okay. Uh, we've <laughs> got to give my wife a lot of credit because she's had to put up with this. Uh, but we started um, in finance. We had several clients that were technology-related, and uh, we had some of them uh, that had asked us to do some consulting work for them uh, on the business itself. And uh, as I said, to make a long story short, we, we were able to do some uh, some work with them that allowed their company to be more efficient or companies to be more efficient. And one of them specifically asked us to do some 
uh, consulting beyond that and potentially uh, be part of their organization. And make this long story long, we decided to get out in front of it and start repping their company from a from a sales and marketing standpoint. Over the period of a, or a period of a, a couple of years, uh, we ultimately decided that we had some really good ideas that we thought we could we could cultivate and bring to market, and so we decided to to start ICG in, in what it is what is now its current format, which is again full service digital media firm. But uh, but that's how it came about. Well, so as an entrepreneur, obviously there are certain pieces that maybe you recognize that need to be in place for a company, so it can really get moving. But what was the most vital piece? you know, from the talent perspective that you felt you needed to have in place to really get your business off the ground? So for myself, frankly, it was determination. When, when I mentioned humble beginnings, I came from very humble beginnings. And a lot of the things that, that have shaped me over the years are from my youth. And, and I think those are, those are very important in, in my determination uh, going forward and, and what I want to accomplish. And in terms of staff and, uh, you know, what has been important there, uh, I think it goes back to, again, probably beating a dead horse, but communication is really important for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can't collaborate without that communication. Uh, so we look for people that uh, internally are are uh, not afraid to communicate, and if they have issue, we, frankly, are not afraid of conflict internally, <laughs> healthy conflict. But sure. we, we, we think that healthy conflict brings out, uh, you know, creativity. Yeah, and it's amazing what some of the hang-ups are for people in a communication uh, when they're having an issue with it, it's that they don't want to look bad, they don't want to be wrong, they don't want to look stupid, I mean, whatever it may be, right? Or maybe they feel like they're smarter than anyone in the room, they're trying to, to not be the overbearing, pushy person, or whatever it may be. So it's an interesting thing, if you can get everyone working on the right thing and get that culture going the right way, then it our goal is to break down all those barriers so that you know, there is literally there there are no barrier to entry for any staff member. They mm-hmm. feel like they have a voice and they can be heard and and they should be. And that's ultimately again what breeds that creativity that we're looking for. Yeah. So how has your past success in business helped you to form into the leader you are today? I've done many many things in life that uh, are certainly interesting. Uh, just a quick story: when I was a finance guy, I had several athletes that I worked with and. Uh, one of them is a, a good friend of mine, and uh, he was a former uh, professional motocross rider. And uh, he came to me, and we talked about it, and he said, let's start a team on our own. And so I actually got into uh, ownership of a professional motocross team. And at the time, didn't think that that would shape you know anything for me going forward. But mm-hmm. it, <laughs> everything comes full circle. And so when we did this team, we had to go out and raise funds with sponsors and things of that nature. And, you know, of course, I didn't think anything of it, but now I work with Major League Baseball and some of the other NFL teams and what have you, and you're working with sponsors day in and day out. And so I understand the world so much better uh, now mm-hmm. uh, than than if I had not gone through that experience. So so I've had so many experiences in life uh, in, in different businesses that I've been a part of and, and owned and done consulting for several organizations and, and I'm actually on a board of directors of, of some as well. And so I've gotten to see so many things, highs and lows. Uh, and ultimately, uh, the successes aren't what has brought me to where we're at. It's the failures. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think it's it's ultimately what you do when you fail, how you get back up, and how you know how how you you make that failure something more positive than 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 not. Is that the kind of advice you might give to some a new entrepreneur? You know, is, is it about getting back up on the horse and, it, and learning from your failures, or is there more more to the story that you would 
you would give them? Well, I, I think it's it's twofold. I think part of this is you know that dogged determination that you have to have uh, when you're starting, and the more passion you have, it it generally will come out. And I think that those two things in, in tandem is where you're going to see a, a real level of success. Yeah. I kind of have this theory that, you know, leaders really understand that good, great leaders, or to rephrase that, really understand their strengths and their weaknesses and, you know, can, can really focus in on what they're good at and, and know how to delegate and get rid of the stuff that they're not any good at to somebody else who, who, who is good at that. What are some of the key strengths that you look for, you know, in a person that you think will not only be a fit in your organization, but also maybe be a good counterbalance to yourself? Yeah. So I'm really, really lucky. There are two executives internally, Curtis Van Horn and, and Gordon Davidson, who are lockstep with me. I'm probably a bit more overbearing, uh, certainly ADD and all the things that you uh, would classify the type A personality I have. Mm-hmm. Um, they're much more balanced. They are the voice of reason where I might be a little more uh, aggressive, as you can imagine. Internally, we're, we're very fortunate. We have a great fit. Uh, most of the staff members uh, fit within my personality makeup. What we look for when we're bringing someone on is, is twofold. We hire folks for the role. We don't try to fit people into roles. Mm-hmm. So we're going to hire for that specific role. And we want to make sure that they, they are actually the right fit for that role. That That's the first thing. The second thing that is, is really important to us is vision. And we want staff members to have vision. And vision comes in all forms, but we want them to have a vision of where they're going in life and where they want to be. And I think, you know, simply put, if, if you, you can't see your end game or goal, you're never going to get there. And so we want staff members to have vision. Well, that's, that's an important piece. And as long as our vision, I guess, is works well with your own company vision, then they might be a good fit. So how do you encourage others then who work for you to really develop their own talent? You know, they might have the right vision. They might want to know where they want to end up. There is that piece about continuing their own growth. And you talked about that self-education. So how do you really encourage them to do that? It's a combination of everything that I've said so far. It really is a staff member comes in, they have a role, we're going to encourage them to be the best at it that they possibly can be. And when we're hiring staff members, we're typically hiring somebody. As, if I'm a, if, if we hire a designer, as an example, that designer, when they, they come in, that's typically their lifelong dream. And, and that's what we want. We want someone that they want to be able to make a difference in the world, just like I do and clearly you do you want to make a difference in the world and you want to you stake your claim mm-hmm. we want them to have that same that same you know as i said vision passion what have you um, and, and so what we try to do is cultivate that and we cultivate that by uh, when they come in and we we start we're very 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 open as i said before and we communicate a lot but ultimately it's you know how do we drive them to get to the next level with where they're at and sometimes there's tough love sometimes there's not it just depends on what you're working on there certainly are times where you have to be tougher on an employee when you know that they can give you more and and sometimes that comes about typically it's a it's this competitive environment that we've created internally where i don't have to technically go motivate someone directly mm-hmm. the staff is doing that for for and us the culture and correct the right. culture exactly uh, so, so you know, in all in all reality, it's again this this cu- cumulative approach to everything that we do that we think is is uh, is setting the tone here in Orange County from a technology perspective. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you kind of have now that you've got it going. You're, you're the other people in your company and the culture is really kind of taking over a lot of that training by just kind of almost it's a social pressure almost Correct. right i mean this is just how we do it and yep. you need to be focused in on this and I, and people are pretty in, intuitive to figure out well, i better do this if i want to 
be working here. You know, other organizations struggle with having to, you know, right up front do some sort of formal goal setting, do some sort of, you know, uh, analysis or strength analysis, things like that to help people kind of get down that road. But it sounds like if you're doing a good job of, of picking the right people coming in the door, they're already going to have that mindset to start and they just got to you know, jump in and, yep. and, and, and row the same direction everybody else is, right? Without a doubt. And don't get, don't <laughs> get me wrong. We have at times picked the wrong people. I mean, it's, yeah. it's human nature. No one's perfect, but, uh, but I think, you know, you, you go back to the, the staff and, uh, that pressure that you have internally is a, is a, is a healthy pressure. It's a healthy competitiveness. And, you know, it took us about four years to get to a point where, uh, we had that internally from a culture perspective, but we've gotten it, uh, today. So there's very little that I have to follow up on, uh, or the other execs have to follow up on in terms of overseeing the directors and their new hires and what have you. Mm-hmm. So one of our, our most regular questions and favorite things to ask our guests is, what are you reading right now? So I, I've gone through phases in my life. Uh, I did start out early on reading specifically, you know, business books and self-help and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I then kind of phased into uh, biographies and autobiographies, trying to learn about individuals. Uh, and, and over the past, I would say, four or five years, uh, I've spent most of my time probably can imagine I travel an awful lot. Uh, and I would venture to say that I'm traveling... 60% plus uh, mm. of the time. So it's, it's, it's quite a bit. And so most of the time when I'm, I'm traveling, I like to read uh, books that take me away and, you know, take me to another place. So sure. I'll, I, I read all the Bourne books, you know, the Jason Bourne, what have you. I've read any, anything that has to do with spies and all that kind of stuff. It's just interesting <laughs> to me and, and certainly um, is exciting when I'm, you know, on a plane and frankly bored and looking for something to take me away. So that th- yeah. that's the type of stuff that I'm reading today. It's not an uncommon answer. I mean, we have people that, you know, continue to want to, to read the, the newest and latest, greatest book for their industry or business in general. And you know, our, our first guest on the show today talked about going back and made a whole list of all the classics he wanted to read again. Mm. And he, he's, he's on Hemingway right now. Yeah, that's great. You know, so I, I think uh, leaders find different ways to find or to locate that motivation to get that escape maybe they need. If, if you're heavily intense in what you're doing, you might need a little bit of time to get away, right? Whereas other people, maybe it, it, it's different. But we really have gotten some fascinating answers to that question, and we'll keep asking it to see what everyone comes up with. So right now, uh, for those of you listening, Hemingway and uh, the Born Identity is your uh, suggestions <laughs> for the week. So if that doesn't take you away, I don't know what will. I wanted to ask you a little bit about the, the creative process. I mean, what you guys do is has a level of creativity that you have to really not only take your client's vision, you have to then take your own ideas and, and somehow translate them into something that doesn't suck, right? I mean, <laughs> that, that people what it's really, about, right? <laughs> that people will really like. So maybe you can kind of tell me about how does your creative process work? How does brainstorming work in your company? I was saying the office is, is a wide open playing field kind of, you know, it's, it's literally wide open, but we have breakout rooms. And everywhere around our office, we use, um, you've probably seen paint that you can write on the walls and what have you. It's mm-hmm. actually called idea paint. Uh, so if anyone's out there looking for something cool, it's, it's a very, it's a very unique uh, product, but very helpful. What we found is that virtually every wall in the office you can write on. And the idea is if you, if you have a creative thought, we want you to write it down. We don't want you to forget it, even if you're at your desk. But we want people to communicate together. And so we have rooms where we have one room that's all beanbags. So the staff can go in and there's beanbags in there and they can, you know, kind of kick things around. 
And we have another room that is a really bright green, and it's designed to keep you awake, which it actually does. It's very interesting. So, so there are things like this that we, you know, we have internally that are designed to help the creative process. But ultimately, what what allows us to be creative is brainstorming. So we'll get in a room. We'll have folks from each department, uh, and sometimes multiple folks from a certain department, mm-hmm. um, where they're just in there. We throw stuff up on the wall, and we try to hash out what we think makes the most sense. We'll narrow down the list of ideas of things that we're going to build and ultimately come up with a list that's two or three. We'll then take that to the street and we'll ask people their thoughts on it and ultimately land on a single on a single uh, you know product. But it, 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 you're, it takes a long time to get to the process when you're building something that's, you know, massive, if you will, right. uh, from an enterprise perspective. So um, those are the things that we try to do to, to, you know, narrow down what we're doing. But we use public feedback. We use everything we can to, to get to a, a point where it makes sense and we can put it in front of a client. So if uh, people are interested in learning more about uh, you or your company, what's the best way for them to reach out? The, the easiest way would just to simply go to the website, www.icginfo, so icginfo.com. Well, Kevin, it's been a pleasure having you on the show today. Uh, like my first guest, we did not get to all the questions. Hopefully we can have you back again and talk a little bit more about your company and uh, all the great success you're having. We'd love to. Thank you so much. So that's about all the time we have today. Thank you again to my special guests, William Tinkup and Kevin Howard. Tune in next week at the same time, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for Talent Talk, brought to you by People G2. To hear Marty Furman, Chief Operating Officer of Chick Labs, LLC, and Julie Weber, the Vice President of People at Southwest Airlines. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a company founded to give you access to the best human capital due diligence and background checks available today.